you're watching me on video and you're probably pretty good with, uh, with body language. I, I don't use drugs or alcohol at all myself, but my experience is that, uh, uh, people will say at least smoke a marijuana, that type of thing. It's very, I'm guessing it's pretty common in our culture nowadays. We're finally getting these laws changed. So I am more, uh, inclined to just measure someone's performance, see if they show up for work. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, and I'm here with my co-host, Lloyd Graff. Today, we're discussing the Hydromat business with a longtime customer of ours, John Greiner of Greiner Engineering. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graff. P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. Is this your first podcast? This is my first. Yes, it is. I don't believe I've ever even listened to one. <laughs> Not even ours. But you're, yeah, you're, uh, you're uh, Buddy the Lawyer, who uh, you gave me the referral to that time. I, I, I just saw that on your site today, and I thought it would be fun to listen to him. But, uh, but you haven't yet. No, not yet. Welcome to the podcast, John. Uh, we're, Thank you. We're really happy to have you and uh, learn learn more about you. I want to know why the screw machine business of all things. Oh, that's a, well. That's a that's a great place to start. Years ago, of course, I I always wanted I always wanted to be in business, and I tried a number of different things, and actually got started doing welding and machining on jet engine parts. And I was behind Tom Mitchell's plant one day and there was a uh, there was a fellow there, Tom Sims was his name, and he had a he had a screw machine shop and he had these old model C Acmes <laughs> and uh, you know with you know yeah with all the exposed parts. And uh, he'd just turn them things on, run parts and go to lunch and and, and so I thought, <laughs> what an easy what an easy business to be in. So <laughs> Uh, little little did I know there was a bit more to it than that. Yeah, so that's how I got that's how I got into it. it looked easy. What other businesses did you start with? Well, that's interesting. One of my distractions, and I've kind of cured myself of it. But <laughs> over my over my lifetime, I've actually started about thirty four different businesses. I've been in a couple business groups. One was YPO Young Presidents Organization. Another one, I've been in a couple. Fistage groups, and so yeah, one of my fistage assignments one time was to list all the 
all the different businesses. So yeah, I've been a mechanic, a welder, doing uh, work for the general public. Um, what we did, centerless bar stock grind. You know, it's interesting how you see these. Perhaps you know you buy a product and it's really expensive, and you say, "Gee whiz, I should go do that." So we got into centerless bar stock grinding because we were getting charged about. 55 cents a pound, and lo and behold, after you start doing it, you find people do it for nickel. So, <laughs> bar stock grinding. Um, what we got here? I had a, a Part 135 uh, aircraft transportation thing for a while. We got in coal farming business, had some coal farming machines. I've got a list of my stuff here, Jay. I thought you might ask. Um, <laughs> did video production for a while. Uh, you did video and, production? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, back in the 90s, we did that a lot for training I was at in Hollywood. I used to go to NLP training out in Los Angeles. I'd stay out there for a month. And so I, yeah, we want to do some, you know, a lot of that was video. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to set up a video production studio. So we kind of did that for a while. Um, did property management in Mexico. Uh, had a business called Wild Things. It's not what you think it was. It was an exotic animal business. That was my <laughs> first one. She had, she had all kinds of, you know, uh, all kinds of critters. It turned out some of them were on the endangered species list, and our uh, local <laughs> officials. Did. So tell me, did you uh, take the money that you made in the screw machine business and lose it in the various other businesses, or vice versa? That could, uh, yeah, you could, you could say that I have. Uh, uh, taken a large fortune and turned it into a small fortune with some of these other activities I've done to, to try to divest uh, from the screw machine industry rather than having a, a, a narrow and deep niche, you know, trying to be a generalist. And that's hard to do. So I, I've, I've not been uh, successful being a, a generalist, yeah. <laughs> so we tend to look at the screw machine business as a uh, a fairly tough business. Uh, you're doing work for other people. Uh, usually people don't have their own products. The margins aren't very good. Uh, so what's been the attraction of the screw machine business for you? And maybe maybe you don't see it that way. Well, I think I think there's some truth to it. You know, I think the, the screw machine business um, actually was it was a perfect fit for me. I'm I'm not too smart for it. And I'm not too dumb for it, if that if that makes any sense. John, John, before you go on, can you tell us, um, you know, what machines you have now and uh, where your shop has gone from from then to now, and then you can tell us about the business to give people some context. Okay, sure. Um, we well, when we got started, uh, basically had uh, you know old turtles and things, you know, turtles, Bridgeport mail, that kind How of stuff. How long ago was that? That was been in the mid seventies, so we've been in business officially in business for forty years now, wow. nineteen seventy eight. So we started with the single spindle stuff, doing work for local customers, uh, and I, I had the fortune of, of working for a uh, aircraft sheet metal fabricator in Indianapolis, and he didn't help me financially, but he helped me by. Uh, farming all the work out, out to, to me that I wanted to do. And that's really how we got started in business. So we started with single spindle equipment doing, you know, stainless steel, neck and nail, that kind of stuff, and uh, and did and did some uh, TIG welding on these aircraft parts. But, you know, the jet engine builders weren't exactly looking for one-man machine shops in Bloomington, Indiana, so we evolved into commercial stuff. 
So and it, it, it kind of went through the gamut of, uh, I think it had Acme's first, had, uh, had Davenport's. We had a very uh, <clears throat> interesting first experience with Davenport. Some people out there that haven't would appreciate it. We had a uh, seven-eighths diameter steel part with two cross holes uh, drilled and tapped at 90 degree angles, plus or minus five tenths on the bore after plating. So some of the Davenport levers out there will probably get a get a kick out of that one that a uh, <clears throat> machinery <laughs> dealer told me that. that I would say that's impossible. <laughs> well, well, we did it, but it was uh, it was not uh, it was not a very pleasant experience. I'll put it to you <laughs> that way. So, had Davenport's got into the hydromat business. So at one point in time, and I guess I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name too many customers, but yeah, back in uh, early uh, when would have been early '80s, uh, Ford had a fuel system plant in Bloomington, and we no, not Bloomington, Bedford, a little bit south here. And we start out just doing service work for them, and that and that's kind of nice because you avoid the, the purchasing guys. And so uh, uh, I thought it would be great to meet the buyer up in up in Detroit. His name was uh, Bob Laney. Hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully Bob's listening to me today because that's why we got in the hydromat business. So anyhow, I went up to visit Bob, and and I should tell you at that point in time, Ford was seventy percent of our sales. So we we actually did a really nice job. We did such a good job. But this plant in Bedford got rid of all their screw machines, and we, we were doing all their parts for them. And so I had the opportunity to meet Bob, and Bob, in his kind way, said, you know what, Grinder, if you don't cut your price in half, we're going to throw you out of vendor base. So <laughs> it was a long, uh, lonely drive home from Detroit, and and as a result, we bought our first hydromat. And, and yeah, they did, uh, you know, we were able to give them a 50% price cut. Uh, we went from uh, 10 people. That's a pretty difficult part. Had a uh, a plus or minus four tenths tolerance on it, and we ran it on some brown and sharp single spindles that had uh, shave tools. And anyhow, went from uh, seven machines, uh, ten operators over three shifts, to the one hydromat uh, just running on two shifts. So it went from 32 second cycle time to four seconds. Wow! And the C value went from a one to a three, if you can believe that. We did we did the runoff over hydromat. And shucks, they just turned the machine on, let it run. We wandered around the shop. And while I'm at it, if I could put in a pitch for Bruno Schmitter over at Hydromat, <laughs> he is one of the most outstanding uh, people I've ever dealt with as far as standing behind the product to get it to work right. So there's my uh, sales pitch for Hydromat for Bruno. They are, they are one of our best advertisers. Disclaimer. <laughs> so anyhow, so then we had Hydromats and then... Uh, what happened from there? We had, uh, yeah, we took on a very large project for General Motors to do anti-lock uh, brake parts, and bought a number of hydromats. We then also we then expanded into, uh, you know, called ZPS nowadays used to be Euroturn. Uh, bought a number of them. Uh, got into uh, coal forming, thermal deburring. You know, at the time everybody was building the plant down in Mexico. Uh, and I always used to think it was, you know, you needed to have the right machine for the right job. In my more golden years, it's more like you need to have the right people run the process. But anyhow, so yeah, we, we bought, I wouldn't say every machine known to man, but we, uh, I enjoy technology and so had a, had a fun time purchasing uh, things that were relevant for what we're doing. Uh, we do centerless grinding here. We've had, you know, a lot of different types of uh Centerless machines, Wickman and Palmari, and had a lot of uh, Cincinnati machines, and et cetera, and et cetera, blah, blah, blah. 
you know. Um, you know, one thing I noticed at your shop uh, when we were there pretty recently, everybody there has like a smile on their face. You have a very good energy at your shop. Do you have any any secrets for you know creating a, an atmosphere where people are are smiling? You know, everybody sort of you know they you have a, a somewhat happy-go-lucky way about you, at least externally, and everybody seemed to to emulate that. I thought that was really, uh, I was impressed with that. Is there any secret to that, or? Well, no, that's, that's very kind of you to say that, and I, and I think sometimes, you know, looking at ourselves in a mirror that we probably know less about ourselves in, in some regards than what other people do. So um, that's a question I don't have an answer for today. You'd ask, you would ask to ask some uh, some other people that uh, that work for me. But that's a that's a very nice compliment, and that is the environment that we uh, that we want to have here. We want people to show up and enjoy what they're do what they're doing, and uh, and I think by and large that's that's very true of the staff we have here nowadays. Yeah, well, that brings up the issue in today's world. It appears the most difficult problem facing uh, screw machine shops, precision machining shops, is uh, finding the proper mix of people. Mm -hmm. Is that the case for you, or have you uh, been, do you feel that you're able to recruit the people you want? No, I think, I think that's, that's an issue that, uh, that affects everyone. Nowadays, especially, I mean, it's you know, you know as well as I do. Probably the high schools have been telling people for the last forty years or so, if not even longer, that they should, you know, they should go to college and not, not, you know, go down the technical path. Uh, so yeah, here we have had to train all our own people. It was it was interesting in this Vistage group I'm in. We we were talking recently about the quality of people we get. And and one of the jokes are some of the guys who wear ankle bracelets turn out to be the best because <laughs> they have to show up for work. And, and I will have to say that we've uh, we do have a, a couple of fellows here like that, and they do just an outstanding job. And it's one one guy can't hardly even get him to go home because he doesn't interesting there to do anyway. So how many uh, people do you have that uh, uh, have have a record? That's a good question. I don't, uh, yeah, don't ask, don't tell. I don't know, but I, I would be, and and what are we? Let's definition of terms. Being a lawyer here, what do you call a record? I don't know, but I mean, it was very interesting what you said about the ankle brace. How many, how many people do you have? You know that you were referring to. I would think that's probably a smaller majority. There's a uh, actually there's a mission, and we are. Uh, temps and they do some recruiting there, so I probably would say, yeah, perhaps ten percent. But if you're talking about the larger population, if somebody's had a, you know, DUI or do, done something silly like that, you know, it's probably a lot, lot larger. Well, how many people do you have? Oh, we've got about forty nowadays. Yep. So tell me, John, what do you do about drug testing? Do you do it? That's an interesting question too. Um, no, actually, we don't. Uh, we uh, have the equipment here to do that. 
we did have a wonderful technical person at one point in time that couldn't seem to stay sober on the job, and so we literally, instead of firing him, brought him in, put him on a breathalyzer every morning, and if he wasn't sober, we sent him back home. Um, you know, that certainly does seem to be bending the rules. How did that turn out? Uh, he he did something to get himself in trouble, and we had to get rid of him. But mm-hmm. we, we still we got you know some we got some good use out of him, and he's working for a machining company up in Indianapolis now. After we uh, terminated his employment, so he must be talented if you uh, gave him a chance. He was very ta- yeah he was very talented. And that is that is sort of the the thing in this industry, and I suspect other people might say that that. Uh, the really skilled people are kind of prima donnas, and and so it's always a challenge uh, how to manage them along with the other larger group of steady eddies that you have. It just you know come in and show up and do their job and and think that that you know all rules ought to be the same for for everyone. It's interesting, John. Drug testing uh, is almost a religion now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, manufacturing people, yep, uh, you don't buy that, I gather. Well, I think that um, with Lee and, and I and I and I, and you're watching me on video, and you're probably pretty good with uh, with body language. I I don't use drugs or alcohol at all myself, um, but my experience is that. Uh, uh, people will say at least smoke a marijuana, that type of thing. It's very, I'm guessing it's pretty common in our culture nowadays. We're finally getting these laws changed. So I am more uh, inclined to just measure someone's performance, see if they show up for work. Um, I did have an individual one time who actually uh, did have an accident. I took him over the it wasn't a serious accident, but I took him to the hospital, and he wanted to have a confession on the way over, and I told him, just shut up, you know, I'm taking you over here, and we're going to get you fixed up, and that that's the end of it. Um, we did wind up discharging him. Yeah, I, I guess, and, I, and probably without going into any more detail than that, um, my experience is that there are lots of people and lots of professions that... Uh, that engage in that kind of thing. Uh, should you be an over-the-road truck driver doing that? You know, perhaps not. Yeah, airplane pilot. Yeah, I kind of hope the guy in the in the uh, front seat is uh, <laughs> has uh, most of his uh, sensory acuity with him. Uh, but for other other types of work, and I, and I will have to say our accident record here is incredible. So. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever I'm saying, I mean you can check the OSHA stuff. Yeah, and we've we have uh, only had one serious injury where somebody injured his arm fairly severely, and it was actually just a dedicated employee. We had an auger on a chip spinner, and something went in there, and he thought he'd stick his hand in there to try to get it out, oh, yeah. which was a very smart thing to do. So, I actually wound up uh, uh, had him to the local hospital, and I actually had him uh, take him up to uh, Indianapolis where they did a great job and uh, he uh, he had a full recovery so anyhow so we got so what can i say we got a, a very clean uh, accident record yeah, with I, I think that if you uh checked people within the pmpa 
I'll bet you that uh, 80% or more uh, believe very fervently in drug testing. Okay. Well, they can go ahead and do it. Yeah. Honestly, we don't do drug testing here either. And, you know, I, I take the attitude that I ask people if they use drugs or if they use uh, alcohol or whatever. And if they say no, and if they say no in a believable way, I believe them unless I learn otherwise. Now, we did have one employee who did have a chronic drinking problem over a long period of time. And ultimately, it cost him his job. But on the other hand, he provided a lot of good work for us also. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You have some, you know, you have some functioning alcoholics, I think. There once upon a time I I don't I'm not as involved with PMPA as what I was once upon a time, but uh, you know, once upon a time I think there were quite a few functioning alcoholics in the in the PMPA. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, but no, but yeah, if somebody, now if somebody has an accident, I mean, we'll get them like this one fell I took over to hospital. I mean, yeah, we we have if if somebody needs to get uh, any kind of medical treatment done, and we have drug tests, and that's that's probably the other thing that's kind of common knowledge around here is uh, if you get hurt, you're gonna get drug tested. So you know, maybe you better not get hurt, right? Uh-huh. A question for you: uh, In your day-to-day business now, what trends are you noticing? Are you seeing work that may have been done in China or in Mexico uh, or? elsewhere in Europe be, uh, now coming back to the U.S., or is it going the other way? Uh, do you, or What other trends are you seeing? That's a good question. As far as us, this company at the moment, things are probably more stable and more diversified than, than they ever have been since I was in business. It's a bit of a surprise. We had typically always had... Uh, Two customers that made up about 65 or 70 percent of our sales, and I think our largest customer might be 22 percent or something now. What's what sectors are you in right now? Uh, we do automotive, uh, truck. Uh, we're doing uh, some military applications, uh, some commercial stuff. John, the statistics show the truck business uh, in major ascent, and the car business. Uh, getting softer. Do you notice that trend? I wouldn't be surprised to hear that. We've not seen that ourselves, but I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised. It does. It does seem like that we're probably could be ready for you know another downturn at some point in the future. But no, we've not. We've not seen a slowdown. But and actually, that we've taken on some new work, and some of the business we have is actually increasing at the moment. Well, how about the truck business? Is it very strong? Well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, they're selling big rigs like they're going out of style. As far as the, uh, yeah, I had to think about that. As far as the uh, application of families of parts we have that go into the into, uh, into trucks, um, yeah, there's there's uh, significant significant buying. So I guess we've not, the answer would be no, I've not seen a du- downturn in trucks. No. No, trucks seem to be going way up. Oh, okay, yes, I agree. <laughs> Sorry, 
I, I didn't understand the question. Yes, they are going up. How are the tariffs affecting you? Not as much as we had worried about it. We've had two times in our history where material prices really skunked us up in 2004 when they doubled and then in 2008 when they when they doubled. Um, uh, the, the tariffs, what we're seeing, have been modest enough that, uh, you know, we've not had to have any real unpleasant conversation with customers regarding them. We're, you know, some were passing on and some were absorbing, but they've not hurt us as much as what we, uh, we had uh, thought they might. Are you having trouble getting raw material? A little bit. There's one... One major, one consolidation of, uh, and we, much of our stuff comes from, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess the answer to that would be yes, because the domestic mills are busier now and their lead times are stretched out. And then there's uh, one, uh, most of our material we get from mills, some we get from service centers, and there's one, one large uh, service center that's taken over another one at the moment, and that's caused a little bit of a, uh, an issue as far as with our uh, deliveries of service center type material, yeah. And so how old are you, John? 64. Do you want to work as long as you can work, or do you... I knew that would, I knew that would be one of those questions. Um, probably my plan for the moment, I'm, and, and of course, you know, these things change. I mean, who can predict the future? But probably for the moment, I'm, I'm going to work until I'm around 75. At that point in time, uh, probably would downsize the business a little bit. I have some loyal staff here that could run it at a smaller level with longer term, more stable customers, and and so then I'd sort of you know fade off into the into the sunset and you know show up here a couple of days a week or something. But anyhow, the plan is I'll be around here at least another you know eleven years or so. What machines? What group of machines are the most profitable for you? We like we like our hydro. We you know we run legacy hydromats and we like those the best. And uh, of course the '90s were great. The money rained from the sky on anybody that had hydromats. Um, but uh, so yeah, we've got quite a few legacy machines. Uh, we dedicate them for parts. Uh, we're able to turn them on and off uh, as customers want parts. So you know we the size company we are. You know we we sell on service. And flexibility, I like to say we're focused but flexible. Um, so yeah, uh, hydromat would be our is really our core competency. Uh, the moly spindles were uh, decent at them, and we've got a lot of CNC equipment. But I'd say that's our that's our weakest area. So at the moment, we're busy enough. We're just trying to focus on uh, part or part families that we can dedicate to equipment, and, and we do the CNC work uh, more as a uh, uh, service to uh, you know to customers and not not trying to to do that as a separate business. Is know? it desirable to you to uh, get a CNC hydromat? Well, let's see. I run that through my head, and uh, you know, at two point, and and you know, actually, what we do, well, you know, we put you know, hydromat sells their uh, CNC units for about one hundred thirty thousand a copy, and so you can put them on legacy machines to do you know the operations that need to be done. Uh, I'm just having a hard time justifying, you know, 2.2, 2.5 million dollars for a new CNC hydromat um, when at least some customers still want to give you the cancel for convenience clause in the contract. <laughs> so then that kind of leaves you with a, 
you know, $40,000 a month payment. What am I going to do with this machine if the work goes away? So I, I know that there's people in the industry that would, would argue that I should invest in these uh, 2 and $3 million machines. But at least in, in, at this stage of my life, I'm, I'm not planning on doing that. Uh, when I was younger, I most certainly would have done that. I think I'm, I'm kind of in the spot that the old guys were, you know, back in the early 1980s. You know, they had Acme's network. Well, why would I want to spend all that money for Hyderman? So I, uh, you know, time, time changes your uh, uh, view on things. Uh, I do know uh, from our own business experience with you uh, that you embarked on a program recently that ended up uh, ending ended up in uh, a modest disaster. Let's say, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, how do you roll with something like that? I have cheated death more than once. I, I have more than nine lives. Uh, <laughs> so, I think one thing I've I've learned, and that's to pause, and I used to get, uh, oh, I used to get more upset when things like this happened, and 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 some, and then I have a, a saying that egos are are more important than results. And there's actually a really good book to read. It's called Egos the Enemy. But anyhow, with that said, yeah, when these things get upside down, I try to pause and and uh, you know try to work out a compromise that works for everybody involved. Um, you know, you can always be nice to people, uh, you know, once you start calling them names and doing that, that stuff, there's not much good that's going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, this modest disaster we had, um, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's cost us some money, uh, but, but we came to an agreement with everybody involved and, uh, and, and at the end of the day, it's really not leaving much of a scar on us or anybody else involved. It's unfortunate that, uh, you know, what took place happened. But I think, uh, you know, all of us, you know, still speak to each other. And I certainly don't uh, speak ill of anybody else who was involved in the modest disaster, as she called it. Yeah. That's a bit dramatic, right? <laughs> so, yeah, but I've had, we've had, we've had several. We had one interesting one. We bought some... Uh, dedicated uh, centerless grinding equipment two, three years ago to make uh, it was parts for uh, the solar market. And and the customer wanted a million parts a month, and that kind of got me juiced up. And then the good old United States government changed the uh, the, the uh, tax incentives for solar market and, and stretched them out a little farther. So anyhow, yeah, the customer, you know, said one million a month, and they didn't want any. So, <laughs> okay, what are we, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do about this? So, I do actually, you know, nowadays when I'm making a capital investment, we analyze the terms and conditions a lot closer, and we negotiate that type of stuff. Which and that, and so we, we deal with smaller customers now. You know, smaller first tiers. You know, let's say. Uh, one or two billion of sales is uh, fairly is the right sort of size first tier you can you know you can deal with and still have sort of a relationship. But yeah, we analyze you know we we look at the T and C's because at the end of the day, uh, if something goes wrong, um, I'm buying equipment to make their parts and and maybe I'm not going to get all my money back. But I I you know I'd like them to share in the pain a little bit. So. Uh, uh, recently, we've had uh, 
had fairly uh, fairly good luck when there has been a modest disaster, as you, as you call it. We've uh, come out okay, and and uh, and everybody. I'm not going to say, well, I mean, I think you know we can all be friends and uh, and move on. Yeah. Do you think uh, if there's a young entrepreneur who wants to start go into the multi-spindle or hydromat business, would you tell them this is a good business to get into right now? That's a good question. Um, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad business to be in. Um, you know, probably with, uh, with, with young people, there's uh, certainly other, other ways to compete with hydromat work. You know, Lights, lights Out is a popular thing nowadays, so... Yeah, perhaps if you're a you're a young person, it might be figuring out just how to how to you know buy a dozen Swiss machines and get the same output out of them as what you would out of a hydromat. Because I mean, the investment's about the same. You know, ten ten Swiss machines will cost you about the same as a hydromat. So that's one approach a person can take, and then you have more flexibility. Um, but yeah, it's but you know, hydromat only spindle business. I don't. It's not a uh, bad business to be in um, but again you, you know you have to you know, it all goes down to you got to find somebody willing to spend some money so if, if a young person has a customer that's that's uh, willing to help them get started and, and et cetera and et cetera I think that's a good business to be in and if not then they should go chase all the money whatever that uh, that leads them to John do you have any children I do I've got a son uh, and he's a uh, He's not involved in the business. He uh, he does uh, mergers and acquisitions for a large uh, firm down in Charlotte. He's a good advisor to me from time to time. And then my uh, my wife, she does organizational development uh, for me. And she's sort of a contrarian, so whatever idea I have, she usually will come up with a counterpoint to it. So <laughs> she helps keep me keep me honest. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sean. It's a pleasure oh, yeah. talking to you. Let me put in a pitch for Graf Pinkert, because you guys, of course, you've been around before I was even born, but I've always had the utmost respect for your company, and you've always had a very fine reputation, and, and the, the dealings that we have had with you, uh, you know, you've just been uh, impeccable in your uh, in your ethics, and so you've, you've really been uh, great people to deal with. Well, thank you. Thanks, John. Sure. We'll have to put that on our website. <laughs> Transcribe it. Yeah, yes, you can. Okay. Okay, be well. Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.